Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. This is episode 149, and today we'll be chatting with Sankar Sahin, the Director of Marketing at Typeform. With a background in radio and media, Sankar has become a self-taught marketer. Through several side projects and products he's built around content and education, Sankar has seen the shift towards new forms of online marketing and brand building. Currently based in Barcelona, Spain, Sankar is leading the marketing team at Typeform and leveraging these tactics to continue to build and develop the experience that visitors and users feel when using the product or engaging with their content. He and the team at Typeform are pursuing the boundaries of what data collection means and redefining the traditional concept of a form. Sankar joins us to share his story, how he started his career in tech, how to create engaging content, what it's like working at Typeform, what the startup scene is like in Barcelona, and much more. So once again, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Feel free to tweet at us at hack to start drop us an email, hey at hacktostart.com, or share your feedback right on iTunes with a review. Good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. So let's get started. Hey, Sankar. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Hey, Franco. Great to be here. Yeah, Tyler and I are super excited to have you on the show and to get to learn you know, more about you and your story and what you're doing today with Typeform. So before we dive into that, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, like where you're from and what did you study? Sure. So I'm from uh, the UK originally, from a place near Oxford, a very small town just outside of, of Oxford. I studied, I have a kind of media background. So earlier on in college, I went for a kind of media trajectory in my, uh, in my career. I studied a bit of radio, a bit of TV, um, journalism, things like that. And then I went on to study radio production at university, which was a bit of a strange uh, degree to study, to be completely honest. So from an early age, I always thought I wanted to make uh, radio documentaries, actually. I, I had it very clear that, that I wanted to, to, to be in radio. So that's the trajectory that I that I took. And um, in the end, I decided uh, not to. <laughs> I ended up in tech kind of by accident, really. That's really cool. So then you know more about producing podcasts than a lot of us uh, amateurs then. Well, I'm not sure about that. I mean, I'm a little bit older now. So uh, everything I learned back then is already out of date. Just to put this into perspective, um, when I was at college and we did editing classes, the first classes we had, so for movie editing, the first classes we did were on um, uh, analog reels. So we're talking uh, non-digital editing. So that was uh, that was fun. So imagine actually cutting up the, the, the ribbons. That's pretty incredible. I can only imagine all the all the work that goes into that process. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, it really kind of teaches you the art of patience, I think, because uh, everything took so much longer. I mean, I'm not that old. Let's just let's just put that out there. But um, you know, it was half how long ago it was, and half you know the lack of resources in the college. But I do remember digital really becoming you know a big thing while I was going through that education. Uh, so no, it was fun, and you know everything took a lot longer then. And even when we had digital tools, so you know obviously digital editing tools were becoming more and more popular at that time. Things took longer to load. You know, so computers weren't as fast. Everything took a long time to load. Nothing auto-saved back then, so we'd constantly be losing our work halfway through projects. So I think it was really a test of uh, patience more than anything back then. Talking like it's the Victorian times, right? Yeah, exactly. This is like 15 years ago. <laughs> so how did you transition from media and radio production into tech and entrepreneurship then? 
Yeah, I mean, that kind of happened by accident, really. So I think when I first started getting into tech, I didn't know I was getting into tech. I think that's the first thing. I was trying to trace this back and actually think myself when this when this all started. I think it was when I was working on a project. It was an idea I had to create a photography book. So I've always been really into photography. And I wanted. I had this idea to create a book where I organized for photographers all around the world to take a photograph at the exact same moment or within the same minute, with the idea that in the book you could go from sunrise to sunset or within the same minute. So imagine people taking this photo at the exact same moment in time, but from different locations around the world. And I had this kind of, uh, I mean, it's a completely random idea, but I had this kind of idea burning in the back of my head that I really wanted to do. I think I was about 20 or something like that when this is you know, uh, 15 years ago, more or less, when I thought, right, you know, I want to do this idea. How am I going to do this? And I remember when I first had the idea, I thought about reaching out to universities around the world and asking them to put something on their university notice board saying, hey, do you want to be a part of this project? But it was actually a friend of mine who told me about Flickr, uh, which was since bought by Yahoo. So, you know, Flickr was this and still is this community of uh, photographers. And he said, hey, you know, you can create a group on this on this website, it's like a social network for photographers. And maybe you can try and launch your project through that platform. So, you know, I, I tried it and it took off. It was it was a big success. You know, I managed to build a bit of a community around this idea. And, you know, long story short, we managed to to launch the the project and the book. But I think it was that point where, where I kind of really saw the the power of, you know, technology for building communities and connecting with people across the world and actually being able to launch something or create an idea that otherwise would just not be possible. Awesome. That sounds like a really cool project and a great way to start, you know, creating things online. Yeah, it was a, it was a really fun project. And, you know, I think from there, it just kind of snowballed. So Flickr was about and then uh, MySpace came about. I wasn't really a big MySpace of myself, but it was only really kind of when Facebook launched where I started getting social, let's say, on uh, online. And then, you know, obviously technology just technology online just completely exploded. And it was it was a completely different time back then. You know, I, I quite enjoy the fact that I've managed to, you know, once again, I'm not that old, but, you know, I've managed to see quite a lot of changes in the uh, technological and online base, you know, from afar as an observer. And it's been really interesting seeing that. And like I say, I never knew that I was interested in technology. Uh, and it was only really when I started my first job in technology Again, I didn't really know that's what I was doing. Uh, it was copywriting, creating kind of advertising copy and uh, FAQ copy, things like that for a, a website advertising clinical trials of all things. So, was, you know, if you want to earn a bit of money volunteering to be in a uh, clinical trial, then that was the website. You know, I had to create different copy for that. And then from there, I grew this interest to, you know, I saw that the traffic the traffic that was being generated for this pretty bad website, to be completely honest. And I just thought, hey, you know, maybe I can do this myself. And that's where I started, I guess, being a little bit more entrepreneurial and thinking about projects that I could do myself. I'm not one of those people that are just going to reel off success after success, because what I actually had was failure after failure. You know, I, I had lots of ideas and nothing really took off. You know, I had an idea for a social network that I, I launched. I worked with a web design company. They charged me thousands of pounds I didn't really have, but I was sure this idea was going to take off. And, you know, they didn't do a great job creating the website. I knew nothing about anything back then. So, of course, it wasn't going to take off. I was very naive. But I think doing all of these projects, so that project and other projects and, and you know, failing to a certain extent, really helped me learn uh, about online marketing and the online space without really knowing that's what I was doing. So I never did, um, you know, an official marketing degree or course or anything like that. Everything I learned was um, kind of organic through my own projects. 
So although none of these little projects really turned out for you, I, I definitely agree that, you know, you can still learn a ton from them. And sometimes that's even where you learn the most, you know, these these projects that you're working on at night and weekends. So speaking of learning and pushing forward, you joined Trovid in 2013, first as a marketing associate, and then later became a country manager for the UK and Ireland. Can you tell us a bit more about Trovid and what was it like running those regions? Yeah, definitely. So Trovid was um, it was an early stage startup when I joined here in Barcelona, where I'm based now. So I'm from the UK, but I'm based in Barcelona, Spain. So it was a it was an early stage startup. Uh, it was a search engine for properties, cars, jobs. So it was an uh, aggregator essentially. And this was a model that was essentially copied from the US. But a few years ago in Spain, you could be very successful taking a model that works in the US and bringing it, bringing it over to Spain because you know people were a little bit later to adopt these online business models here. So that's what they did essentially. They successfully managed to take a business model that worked in the US and bring it over to uh, Spain and it got traction very quickly. It got a lot of traffic and subsequently made, you know, made, made a good amount of money. So when I started I was uh, you know I was this kind of naive young marketer not really knowing what online marketing was. And I started off pretty slowly kind of learning the ropes and then eventually uh, ended up managing the well, the UK, UK and Ireland, but really UK was the main website that, that I managed because it was one of the biggest markets at the time. My job there was essentially at the early stages of the company, it was a mix of everything. So it was marketing, it was account management, it was sales, uh, it was getting involved with you know uh, other bits in the business. But, you know, I was very junior. I didn't have huge influence at that time within that company, but I definitely learned a lot there. And that's where I really kind of started to learn what online marketing even was. You know, it's, it's really where I um, I started to realize that that's what I've been doing for a few years already. So, you know, that was fun. It was a great company. It was one of the first startups in Spain who really adopted this Google, Facebook style um, office culture so it was all very new. It was all very new for Barcelona, really. And it was great to be a part of that back then. But yeah, I definitely learned. I learned a lot at that company. And, you know, they had a good exit as well for the time. And I feel like in the end, I was able to, to give, you know, a good contribution to that. You know, I was able to grow the UK website, you know, from something pretty insignificant to something more significant for the business. So I was quite proud of what I was able to do there. Absolutely. So from there, you then joined getapp.com. Can you tell us a bit more about getapp.com and what was it like joining the team there? Yeah, so again, it was a pretty small startup, in fact, very small. When I joined, I think we were only 12 people or something in the office. They were already doing pretty well. They, they had a very lean operation. Uh, you know, they were able to do really well with very few people. GitHub is a, um, a directory for cloud software. So essentially, that was the core of the business, you know, a directory for cloud software where people could compare different softwares, uh, read reviews about the software, so lots of gen uh, user-generated content, and then make decisions to buy or not. It was a cost-per-click model, so they would charge the software to drive traffic to their website and, you know, essentially leads. So, you know, the model itself was... I mean, dare I say, you know, pretty dry, you know, the, the subject matter was pretty dry. But what I really liked about joining that company was I was able to build the content team from scratch. So I so I went in and I was able to hire a whole team around me and really kind of create a content machine that, you know, that I hope eventually contributed in quite a big way to their exit and the, the acquisition.
position. And, you know, like I still have friends in that company and you know, I'm, I'm proud of what we were able to do there because we focus a lot on, you know, in- industry research and that type of content. And we were able to drive, you know, very kind of significant results by by creating that type of content. So my part there was, um, well, I was the, the head of the content team and it was, you know, much more content focused. So we didn't really look after paid advertising or you know any any of that kind of side of marketing it was it was building a content machine generating organic traffic generating creating a bit more of a brand around the product through you know reliable trustworthy content so on the subject of creating content along the way you also co-founded a startup called goenglish.tv can you tell us a bit more about it and what motivated you to launch it Sure. So this was actually between the two things we discussed. So it was between uh, Trovit and GetApp. Friend and I, we decided, you know, we we'd always had a lot of ideas and we, we used to always talk about uh, businesses we could create together and we had pretty complementary skills. So we just thought, look, let's uh, let's take a year out and let's give something a go. And if it doesn't work out by the end of that year, let's, uh, you know, no, no harm done. It's kind of managed risk, right? So we just thought, let's let's give this a go. And so at least we can look back and say that we tried something and we worked on something. So I used to uh, teach English when I first came to Spain because it's what, what every British person does when they come to Spain. They start by teaching English because it's a job you can get straight away and, you know, you can make yourself a bit of money and get to know the city. So, you know, we thought, why don't, you know, e-learning is big. The the English learning market was was huge. I can't remember how many billions, but it was massive. And we thought, you know, why don't we why don't we give this a go? So we, we spent a long time creating high quality uh, educational content for people who are learning English. And the reason was because we saw this big gap. We saw that there were many, many uh, e-learning websites where they offered free content to people learning English, but the quality of those websites was very, very poor. So the quality of the educational content was poor. A lot of these websites were created, you know, 10 years ago, and they rank very well in Google because of how long they've been around. But the content they're offering is very outdated and, you know, it's not taught in a very modern way. So we thought, thought let's kind of fill that gap and create uh, a resource uh, that people can go to and experience high quality uh, video content. The mistake we made there was uh, focusing too much on building the content and having marketing as an afterthought, actually. So we didn't focus enough on building the top of the funnel, you know, building interests and then finding a way to monetize that. We focused, you know, a lot of our time on building high quality content. But during all of that time, we weren't building any kind of audience. And that was our biggest mistake for that particular project. And we built a few kind of satellite projects around that. So we have a YouTube channel, for example, which is, you know, doing pretty well now. Uh, And then we have, you know, a conjugation website called conjugation.io, which, you know, gets a bit of traffic as well. So we have these kind of, and we have an app, uh, uh, a, um, a smartphone app. So we kind of we did a bit of everything really. And to be honest, we were just, we never took it that seriously as, you know, we think this is going to be the next big thing and this is going to make us a lot of money. I think what we were, we were just two guys like having fun, creating loads of stuff. You know, we'd never created an app before. So we said, let's create an app. We'd never created a full website before. So we wanted to do that. We'd never created a website powered by a, a robust database, like a conjugations website. So we, we did that. So really, you know, while we didn't do things in the right way, in the right order to make it into a, a successful business, we were just a couple of guys just, just trying to just do stuff and uh, have fun with it and, and learn from, from doing. And, you know, that year taught me that, that year taught me an awful lot. And these projects are still running in the background. We have pretty uh, busy jobs now, but they kind of they tick along in the background and we're still quite proud of what we did. 
Yeah, I totally agree that often you need a side project that you just keep working on, say, like the evening and just try new things and learn from it. Exactly. What I hear too much these days is, you know, everybody wanting to be hugely successful and be the next big thing. But I think it's important just to spend some time playing around and just saying, hey, look, I'm creating this website or this app or whatever. I don't really expect it to be the next big thing. I'm just learning how to do it. Whereas I think a lot of people think that whatever they create now has to be, it's either a huge success or it's a massive failure. But what's a failure about, you know, learning from, from actually creating something? I don't think that's, that's failing. I couldn't agree more. So today you're the director of marketing at Typeform, a product that I love and use very often. But before we dive more into that, can you tell us a bit more you know, about what Typeform is and does and really how you created the opportunity to join the team there? Well, I started speaking to um, our co-CEO, co-founder, uh, Robert, while I was still at GetApp. And he basically you know, sold me this, this great vision about the company and really won me over, essentially. Back then, you know, Typeform was kind of pitched as this, you know, good looking online forms, let's say. So, you know, cool, engaging online forms or good looking online surveys. But, you know, Robert in the background was really kind of selling this this much bigger vision for what this company would be. And I really bought into that. And, you know, uh, him and our other co-founder, David, have completely stuck to their word. So, you know, to a lot of people still, Typeform is a way to do beautiful, engaging online forms or surveys. But really, it goes much beyond that. So Typeform is a way to collect data or information from a lot of people at once in a conversational way. And why do it in a conversational way? Because you get better engagement from your respondents, you get better quality data and information, and you create better connections with your audience, your customers, or your employees. Any kind of use case you can think of where you're asking lots of people for some information or data or, or insights or whatever it might be, you can pretty much create that really simply with, with the Typeform drag and drop tool. I mean, you you know, you use Typeform um, and we spoke a little bit about it at Sapphire, right? But we show one question at a time. So the Typeform UI uh, only shows one question at a time because it kind of mimics a real life conversation. If you think of a standard form, where you know you can think of the typical checkboxes and you know the 25 different fields that you have to fill in and you have to kind of zoom in to be able to tick to be able to check something you know we really did away with all of that and just made it feel more like a, a natural conversation so one question at a time no checkboxes you know none of that just really clear input fields and you know people we get really good feedback about it people say really good things about it and it's it's amazing when you see what people say about the product when you see what people say you realize this isn't just an, another form builder it's not just another survey maker it's it's a lot more than that people are using it in much more interesting ways absolutely so at what point along the line did you end up joining the team then and what was the company like back then yeah good question so at that time we were in a different office a smaller office uh, and i think i joined when i joined i was a number 35 or maybe 40 something like that so you know they they had already made uh, a lot of progress and uh, you know this company with or without me was was going to do really well i was joining an already successful trajectory in the company so they were doing great. They had built this product that fueled its own growth, essentially. So they did very little marketing. They didn't need to because the product itself has this viral loop in it, which uh, which just generated growth almost by itself. And, you know, they were already building this great internal culture, hiring people that really cared about uh, what they were doing, you know, really passionate people, really smart people, and more importantly, really humble people. The team straight away, uh, they, they, they were the most humble people I'd ever seen in any kind of tech company, especially a fast growth tech company. 
it's quite rare to see that, I think. So, you know, that, that was the kind of stage of the company at the time. And then I joined originally to, because I'd come from being the head of content at, at GetApp, and I, I joined originally to start content marketing machine in the company, essentially. So the first thing to do was to create a blog. And one of the things that sold me was, you know, Robert said to me, we're not interested in just doing, you know, any old company blog, you know, writing crappy articles, just 500 word articles, and just trying to get as much traffic as possible from Google. We want to do something with proud And that's what really sold me because that's, you know, what I'm passionate about, creating content that really stands out. So we spent a long time, a lot of resources building a blog and a plan and hiring around that publication. And we really wanted to turn it into an online magazine. And we feel like we're, we're really getting there. The blog is, you know, we're pushing out some really quality content that we're very proud of. You know, that was my original job. And then it kind of evolved into a full scale marketing team because I started to see opportunities in other places. You know, I saw that there were very talented people in the company who could build up our SEO strategy and paid marketing, you know, top of the funnel, middle of the funnel and bottom of the funnel. We could do all sorts of things. So we really scaled the team out. And where we've ended up is this great team of people that really cares for and nurtures the brand. So we're, we're really a brand team and not a marketing team in the traditional sense. We focus on building great brand experiences to enhance the product. The product already does a great job at driving growth. So actually what we do and what we focus our time on is enhancing that growth mechanism within the product by surrounding it with, let's say, remarkable, you know, this is a word we try and use a lot, remarkable brand experiences. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting distinction to make over what you'd consider traditional marketing to sort of be or do. And it's really interesting to hear you speak a lot about the brand experience and the product almost as if, you know, it has its own identity that you just are looking to wrap in this higher quality brand experience. Definitely. I mean, I think experience is everything. Uh, People are tired of traditional marketing. More people are tired of pop-ups. We all know this, right? All us marketers, we know this. People are tired of pop-ups. People will still fill them in. We we can still trick people into giving us their email address or whatever it might be. But we're not building proper relationships with these people. We're not truly engaging people. You know, many companies are doing a great job of doing that. I think we just need to start thinking beyond traditional marketing. Uh, More and more companies are becoming publishers these days, rather than focusing on traditional marketing. If you think of companies like Red Bull, GoPro, even Marriott Hotels or places like this, they're becoming publishers. And the reason is because they're trying to do the the long-term plan, the long game. They're engaging with, with an audience. And that's what we would like to do as well. We want to engage with an audience and not trick people into giving us their contact details before they're ready to do so, for example. So so we focus a lot on experience. One example of this is uh, an article we very recently published. It's, it's an article about conversational UIs, so about the evolution of conversational UI. And then we integrated a chatbot within the actual article itself. So you can have a conversation with the author of the article while you're reading. So it's as if the author is kind of over your shoulder as you're reading it and just chiming in every now and again. So, you know, when you get to a certain section, you might say something like, yeah, I wasn't sure if I should include that bit, but the editorial team told me to go for it. Or have you seen this movie? If not, do you want to see this video clip? And you can kind of you can kind of modify the, the experience as you go through. And that was a big success for us. You know, we got a lot of interest about that article. So we're interested in doing more of that, you know, innovating and, and offering new experiences to our to our readers and not just producing and publishing the standard cut and paste marketing content that we think might get us some visits from Google. Yeah, it is a pretty incredible blog post and we'll make sure to link to it so others can check it out in case they've missed it if it you know hasn't been circulated all over the internet by now. So speaking of content, that's one more thing I wanted to touch on given your background. How do you approach creating really engaging content? 
I think it starts with hiring the right people. So if you hire people who have this very traditional marketing background and they're, they've got tunnel vision and you know they think that what they need to do is just generate leads and pass it on to a sales team, then they're probably not the right people to hire. So if you look at our team, we have a very mixed bag. I mean, starting with me, I don't have a traditional marketing background. I, I have no qualifications in marketing and I have a kind of mixed creative background. I think that helps me think a little bit differently. Often, if you're talking to me about marketing, you're going to think I'm a bit of an idiot because I won't have all the terminology. I won't have heard of X influencer or whatever it might be but in a way i think that helps me because it kind of takes me outside of that that bubble and helps me you know empower the team to to do something different that other people might not be doing and that has to carry through into the team so we hire people from all sorts of backgrounds with with different abilities and different experiences the guys on our creative team who produce our videos in-house and do all of our creative work you know the director the creative director is from an advertising background you know so he brings a different angle to everything and then we have video producers who are more used to creating movies and documentaries and things like this rather than marketing videos. So we kind of have this mishmash of talent and um, experience. And I think that's where it starts. So you need the team who can, I mean, it's very cliche, right? But they can they can challenge the, the status quo and they can, they can think of things from a slightly different perspective. So that's where it starts. And then on a more practical level, we put some processes in place that allow us to make the decision on if something should go out or not. We always go by this SURF acronym. So I actually hate acronyms. I hate marketing acronyms, but, but we created one just for fun. So uh, we say, does the content SURF? So is it simple? Is it useful? Is it remarkable? And is it friendly? So if we can say that it is all of those things, then we hit the publish button. If for some reason it doesn't hit one of those things, then we, we take it back and we think about how to um, tweak it so, it so it does complete all of those prerequisites, let's say. And to give you a concrete example, when I first started, one of our old designers had already designed a blog for us to launch. So I kind of came in and I was given given this design and we had this very small team of people uh, at that stage. And we looked at this design and it looked, it looked good, but it looked like a very standard uh, WordPress blog. There was nothing wrong with it, but there was nothing that remarkable about it. And I remember us having this, uh, this really great passionate conversation about should this thing go out? You know, is this who we want to be as a brand? Yes, we can publish it today and we can start to generate some traffic and we can look at rebranding it in the future. Or do we want to open the door with a with a bang? You know, Do we want to say this is who we are as a brand? And we made the decision to delay that blog launch, although it was ready to go. And we delayed it by three or four months or something like that, just so that we could go back and redesign it and do something that we were proud of. And that's what we did. You know, We make sure that we're proud of everything that we, that we publish. I'm glad you brought that point up because I think a lot of the time in the traditional startup bubble, and I really want to explore more of what it's like in Barcelona there later, but I think here in North America, there's much more of a focus on making something good rather than making something great. You know, you need that balance of you know, doing things right uh, and doing things quickly. But also, I think sometimes you just need to use your intuition and your gut feeling. And if you think something should have another month added on top of it, because the result is going to be so much better then you know, add that month. Yeah, absolutely. So which channels have really been the most effective in terms of initial growth to get that built in viral growth mechanism that you mentioned started? 
Yeah, definitely. So, so to start with the the growth mechanism part of that question. So obviously, you do need people to enter into that before that growth mechanism can start working. But what we find is that word of mouth is a huge channel for us, essentially. So it's one of the most difficult to to analyze and put numbers on and build reports off. But what we do see is that we get huge word of mouth for our product. So word of mouth can be offline or it can be online, and we see we see a huge amount coming from both directions. We feel the growth mechanism with with the normal channels that you would expect so we do some paid advertising we we do relatively well in uh, organic um you know to some of our landing pages and to our home page as well we get some traffic through social media referrals referrals quite a big one because uh, a lot of people write about us and link to us so that's great so you know we have the traditional marketing channels let's say but what we see is that when we push traffic into the website and get people into the product it just amplifies from there so i mean you know a lot of marketing people will be listening to this and they'll they'll want to kill me because my job is so easy in a way because we we put a small amount of traffic into the top of the funnel and it amplifies from there from the word of mouth effect and from people clicking on that powered by button in the type forms because they're interested to find out more about what this thing is because it is designed and presented in a different way to what people are used to so that powered by mechanism that viral loop is something that really uh works well for us but then we get a lot of offline uh, and online word of mouth as well so you know if you look at twitter a lot of people saying some amazing things about us which we love it just fuels this uh, culture of humanizing the brand you know real humans are saying very human things about the brand so yeah i mean in terms of campaigns like i say we focus on the marketing side we focus more on these big experience campaigns but in the background we do have this kind of bread and butter organic strategy we we have our social strategy referrals of pr but we find that if we can build great experiences and get a lot of people to be aware of our brand through a really engaging experience although we're not talking about our product that filters through and that gets people uh, interested in the in the product and writing about us and you know somebody will find out about our product from that knock-on effect so earlier you mentioned when typeform you know started out it was just beautiful forms now we've been chatting a bit about this messaging approach to collecting data so how has the product really grown over time to differentiate itself in such a crowded space Yes. Yeah, so what happened at the beginning is people wrote about Typeform a lot, but because we didn't really have, we didn't push out this brand story or, or we didn't tell people what we were, we allowed other people to push us into this space that we didn't necessarily consider ourselves to be in. So everybody else said that we were a kind of beautiful online survey tool or a beautiful form builder. And because we weren't saying otherwise, or we weren't confidently putting a different brand story in front of people, that was the space that we ended up in. And that's completely fair enough. You know, it's, it, it makes a lot of sense. So the product back then uh, wasn't too dissimilar to what the product is now. We have some different features and we've added some more value, but the, the core product was was not that different. What people really seem to like about the product was this conversational way of collecting that data. So the fact that we only show one question at a time and it feels like an experience when giving information rather than a chore, rather than uh, a process. And that's what filling in a form or a survey feels like. You feel like you're entering into a process or doing some hard work. Whereas with the type form, what we saw is that people actually enjoyed it and many more people got to the end of that form because of the the experience. So I guess that was the main differentiator at the time and still is today uh, largely. Where we go from here is going to be much more exciting. So we're going to go much more conversational. 
type forms are, are going to evolve tremendously and we're going to be where the conversation is. So we just launched a type form chat feature, actually. So anybody can use this now. So you can create a type form in the, in the standard builder, as you normally would, and then you can render that as a chat bot in Facebook Messenger. So you can, for example, if you have a Facebook page and you want people to be able to contact you through your messenger or you know ask specific questions and you want to do that automatically you can do that with a type form so you know the first question could be hey how can we help you and then somebody chooses uh, i have a question or i have a complaint for example they select one that takes them down a different path so that's an example of experiencing a type form but without actually seeing the type form UI, what you're seeing is the Facebook Messenger UI. So what we're doing is being wherever the conversation is. And obviously conversations are happening in, in Messenger, but that's just the first step. So you know, in the future, we'll be a multi-platform data collection tool and we'll be much more conversational. Yeah, that's really exciting potential and cool to see that Typeform is thinking contextually to that degree. So you mentioned earlier that Typeform is mostly based in Barcelona. So what's it like building a startup there and what's the startup culture like? I love the startup culture in Barcelona. It's, uh, it's this kind of bubble outside of the biggest bubble of startup of startups that there is. You know, it's it's well out of Silicon Valley. It's its own little bubble in itself, uh, and that that causes a lot of um, challenges as well. It means that we're we don't get to connect with as many people in the U.S., which is where our biggest market is, and that's a big challenge for us. But the culture here is because it's such a small city. Everybody in the startup world really knows each other, and that does mean that we, uh, you know, we're often kind of sharing talent, let's say, or competing for the same talent. But actually, more and more talent is coming in from the outside, so the talent pool is getting bigger. But it's a very small city. Uh, it's a very close knit community. Generally, you know, whoever you speak to or whoever you hire, they've worked in another startup in Barcelona or they know the founder of this startup or that startup. And when you go to meetups, you see the same faces and, you know, you really there's this kind of real community feel of startups here. And I think, you know, in general, there's a lot of support for each other. here. You know, everybody wants everyone else's startup to succeed. So I've never lived in, in San Francisco or, or worked in San Francisco, but I imagine it's quite different from what it is, what it is here. You know, I imagine it's a lot more competitive. But of course, what we have to do is remind ourselves that we're competing in a space outside of Barcelona. So we have to remind ourselves of that and remind ourselves that Silicon Valley is moving extremely quickly and we have to make sure that we keep up. But the culture here is is great. And one of the best things is Barcelona is a is a, an amazing hiring tool. You know, you your hiring tools are essentially your product, uh, your company culture and salary compensation perks, things like that, and then uh, location. Barcelona actually does a lot of these selling for us because it's such a great city to live in. There's so much uh, culture here. You've got the beach, you've got the mountains, you've got the great weather, you've got cheap cost of living. So it's, it's a really cool city to be in. Um, and that actually does a lot of the legwork for us for bringing in talent. That's really cool. I've had the chance to visit Barcelona, but only for a few days. And it's it's on my bucket list to, to kind of go back in the near future. Yeah, you should come across. You're welcome in the office anytime. Uh, you know, definitely find an excuse to come out. Sounds great. I might have to take you up on it. So shifting gears a little bit, what are some of the most recent apps that you've downloaded or use for work or life? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, working in a marketing team, we work with a lot of different SaaS apps and different apps. My team would probably do a lot better job answering this because, you know, they use all sorts of things. Specific things that really help me with my day to day. I really like Asana for uh, keeping me, you know, keeping my tasks in one place. We had uh, a guy from Typeform who used to teach productivity classes and he kind of taught taught us all internally how to be more productive. And one of the things he, he told us was, you know, this, this rule of, you know, if you can't answer an email, 
within three minutes, then then move it to a to a to do list. And Asana's really helped me with that. You know, I do a nice clean to do list. I use Sketch quite a lot. So in fact, we use Sketch quite a lot in the company, and I do a lot of my kind of workflows and. You know, Sketch is used for all sorts of type, you know, of designing, and you can design a lot of UI with it. In fact, that's what it's what it's made for, I think. But I'm not a UI designer, but I I use it a lot to to draw out workflows and really visualize what I'm trying to express in presentations and things like that. So I love playing around with Sketch. Amplitude, we love Amplitude here, so we use. Um, Amplitude analytics to to really understand how people are behaving within our platform and do comparisons about uh, different cohorts and how they how they behave in the platform. So like you know I could spend hours just playing around with amplitude data. PictoChart we're big fans of, so we use PictoChart to uh, create infographics and we use them a lot internally to present data that we've collected through a Typeform and then we visualize it in a in a really simple infographic for internal use and we do that a lot in company presentations and things like. That. so yeah we use all sorts of things really and as as i'm sure you can imagine you know it changes like we'll be using one app one month and then we'll try something out the next month you know bloody marketers they're just constantly uh, subscribing and churning from from apps we're our own worst enemy <laughs> uh, yeah absolutely so along those lines are there any recommendations of some great content that you've come across lately either a book video or a blog post a book I've, so it's not necessarily the most recent one, but, you know, talking earlier about the, the space that we're in and, you know, the category of being an online form builder, an online survey builder versus conversational data collection. Something that really helped spark that conversation was a book called Play Bigger. So Play Bigger is um, it's a great book about, you know, how to design a category and how to become a category king within within a completely new space. So rather than doing something better than somebody, you do something different than than the others. So, you know, that was a book really instrumental in uh, fueling some conversations that we had internally. What else? I'm listening to a podcast at the moment called the Dose of Leadership with uh, Richard Rearson. It's a great podcast, I think, for any anyone in a management position or anyone looking after a team because they, you know, he interviews lots of different people in similar situations. And it's very inspirational, you know, talking about how to stay high level, keep away from micromanagement and all, all of that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, anyone in a management position needs to be reminded of some of that stuff often. And then uh, oh, I read this great report from Influitive uh, recently, Influitive, the uh, uh, advocate marketing platform they did a report about uh, how to get your marketing and your customer success team to be aligned and this is a conversation that you know i'm always having with our vp of customer success you know we're always talking about how we can better align our teams so you know i felt like that piece of content was was made for us from all of the conversations we've been having it's, it's like a downloadable pdf so anyone working in marketing or customer success uh you know i recommend that you read that because i think that collaboration between teams is is really key in an organization at the scale that we're at now really cool i haven't seen that report yet or, or heard of that podcast but i'll make sure that you know we link to them so everyone can check them out cool so do you have any personal models that you live by or final thoughts for this episode well uh personal mottos not really uh you know i'm not really one for catchphrases or anything thinking about my my job here in in, in type form something i always try and do is hire people who are better better than me and i think you know that's if i had any advice to to give to anybody in a similar situation to me that would be my advice so whenever you're hiring people and hiring a team always make sure that the person you're hiring can do something a lot better than you can and that can put you in a vulnerable situation sometimes because you might feel inadequate to those people because you're actually hiring people with you know far advanced skills in certain areas than than you have 
But I think if you truly care about the care about the growth of the company you're working in, that is your your main job in this position. It's to hire people who can do things a lot better than than you can. And if you do that, you're going to create a very successful team. And it, you may make yourself obsolete one day, but hey, you know, that's part of the job. That's great advice. Sankara, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us today. We really appreciate having you on the show. No worries, Franco. I really appreciate you uh, taking time to talk to me and listen to our stories as well. Well, that's another episode of Hack to Start. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again soon. Remember to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as on the web at hacktostart.com. We honestly couldn't do this show without your awesome support, so if you liked what you heard, feel free to share it on Twitter or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and until next week.